Can the online world move from the digital equivalent of medieval times to a new era of civilization? That was the question on Charlie Bell's mind when the veteran engineering leader decided to leave Amazon after more than 23 years and join Microsoft to lead its $15 billion cybersecurity business. And what dawned on me as I started to really think about it and get deep on it is that, you know, the security problem is the mother of all problems. If you don't solve the security problem, you don't get to innovate on anything else. More than a year into that quest, Bell joined us recently at the GeekWire Summit for a status report, sharing insights on the state of digital security and the potential for progress in the years ahead. Because everything that we're creating in technology ends up being a potential weapon in the hands of, of somebody who wants to do evil and they can point it back at us. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Coming up on this episode of the GeekWire podcast, we're featuring highlights from my recent conversation on stage with Microsoft Executive Vice President, Charlie Bell. Let's talk about cybersecurity. This was the challenge and is the challenge that you decided to take on. What has surprised you most as you've gotten really deep insights over the last year, not only running a 10,000 person organization that's involved in all aspects of this, Quest, but also insights into the research that Microsoft has into cyber attackers, cyber crime. What about the threat landscape as you look at that? Are there things there that you're most concerned about right now that people, especially in this audience, should know about? Yeah, well, uh, really important. I think, um, first of all, the threat is growing. And that, that I kind of I knew um, from before, but um, you know, I'm now up close and personal with uh, a lot of what's going on there. Microsoft is tremendous depth of knowledge of, of what's going on in the threat landscape. And it's, um, it's amazing how organized the threat has become and how big it's become. It was the reason I really wanted to get into this. I could see that it, the, the trend was growing. And, um, you know, there's a number people have thrown out there that there's an estimate like $6 trillion every year is pulled out of the world economy by these bad actors. And, uh, and nation states are busy going at uh, things. And it's just getting... Um, you know, it's it, and they're organized. Like um, there's, uh, you know, somebody uh, broke into one of the ransomware companies. And by the way, they're companies now. So these are right. these are enterprises that are involved in ransomware and countries and companies. Yep. yep. And uh, and somebody broke in and they had like their HR department. They got a hold of the HR data and and found the um, they found the one of the things they had was an employee of the month. I mean, uh, really like to get to know that person. Wow. Um, but uh, Maybe you should try to hire that person. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, if, uh, I'm not sure I would trust that person. Um, you know, Fair enough. I, so, um, so yeah, the threat is just growing uh, really fast, and it is why um, you know we have to um, we have to counterbalance that threat. We have to really get uh, as an or as an ecosystem, as a you know enterprises, individuals, you know across the board. We've got to organize around this problem because. If it gets big enough, you're going to be afraid to to use technology in almost anything. Like it's uh, it's it's getting really sophisticated out there. What are the tools and the technologies that companies out there can use to to counterbalance that most? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, bad actors they go for the low hanging fruit. They're going to go for the easiest, the biggest return on their time. So so um, you know, this the, the, the one of the most important things to do is just MFA, multi-factor authentication. You know, don't just have a password. You know, people reuse their passwords, and there are all kinds of techniques, password sprays um, for for getting into things. And um, 
you know, multi, just have another factor. You, you know, you, uh, I'm, hopefully we all do that with our bank accounts, but enterprises, um, it's amazing how many companies haven't implemented uh, multi-factor authentication. Focusing on the low-hanging fruit, you know, having good programs for training people how to spot spam and malware and, and things like that coming in where, you know, you're getting a phishing email that tries to get you to click on a link. Uh, bad actors start with people and, and then work their way in. It's interesting you bring up MFA, multi-factor authentication. Microsoft came out with a study last year that looked at Azure Active Directory usage, and only 22% of Active Directory users were using some form of strong MFA authentication as of last year. Why not make that mandatory? Why not tell these companies, hey, you've got to do this. You don't even have the option to turn this setting you, off. You know, it's... Um so, by the way, that number was only 20% the year before. So, like, we're not making a lot of progress. Well, first of all, we are making a lot of things default. Like, that, the, one, of the, one of the ways that we're going to change this game is we're going to set the rules of the game up so the attackers have to play on our field. And, and so things like just MFA being ubiquitous. And we've made MFA a default, by the way. It's just uh, enforcing it. So saying you must have MFA. First of all, there's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of history where people have been doing things without MFA. And, and with most of these defaults, the thing you have to cautiously think about, and, and I really get this, you know, I'm, you know, spend a lot of time with customers and I hear what their, what their struggles are with this. They will break a lot of the technology that they have because it was built without that in mind. And so there's a lot of de defaults that you can't do, you can't force the issue um, without breaking people. That said, we're building it into every product we have. We're building all kinds of great stuff into Windows. You guys don't even, if, for those of you who do Windows, you don't get to see half of this is below the waterline, you know, anti-phishing stuff within Windows to, to just assume that the application that you're running is you've been tricked into doing something. And um, there's, there's a, we did that a couple of weeks ago. There's just so much stuff that we're putting into the products uh, by default to protect people. But, uh, but you have to be careful because you can't break uh, what everybody's doing, you can, and that, that's where a lot of this uh, encouragement has to happen. I got a chance to talk last week with Jen Easterly, who's the director of the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, as it's known, and this is going to be a big push for them to get companies to disclose the percentage of users using different forms of strong authentication, multi-factor authentication, and, and some even stronger forms. Uh, than just using text and a cell phone, for example. Could you, as Microsoft, go even further with your disclosures and try to effectively shame your customers into implementing these just basic security processes? And I just said shame your customers, and you're going to say no. Well, of course not. I mean, <laughs> you've got to be... Look, I've spent so much time with customers. You've got to be empathetic for where they are. Um, but... Think about it, like a big company has a bunch of things on their plate and they're thinking about where they make their investment. And so I do think um, transparency is incredibly important. Like we've got to be um, transparent about what's going on. It's the way as a, as a community we're gonna get together. Because this is gonna be something where the whole community has to get together and fight the, the adversaries that are, that are doing this. And the way we'll, we'll galvanize around it is by having the data out there, knowing what it is. And so Microsoft, this is generally what Microsoft, how we approach world problems, is to be as transparent as possible about this. And, and th in this case, um, you know, we're putting that data out there because we want to motivate people to take action. So I'm 100% with Jan on this. Like, um, you know, we should all be transparent about what's going on because it's, it's a call to action. It helps us understand instead of hiding and not knowing there's a problem.
But what about vulnerabilities in Microsoft's own software? That's coming up next. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. As you've been saying, you're in some ways in a very unique position of strength inside Microsoft with all the insights and the tools. There's also a lot of criticism uh, and complaints about Microsoft from customers, from analysts. And there's one sort of inflammatory quote out there that uh, you're effectively selling fire extinguishers for the arsonist in your job, which probably is not fair, and I can see your reaction there. But what would you say to people who say it's not right for Microsoft to be shipping code that's vulnerable at the same time that it's making money, $15 billion annually, on solutions for some of those problems, a lot of those problems? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. I mean, we just talked about transparency. It's, it's, it's good we're talking about it. Um, I, the first thing I'd say is, you know, if you think about it, Microsoft is a security company. For the last two decades, Microsoft has been doing this because if you're an innovative company and you're building technology, the only way you can do anything is if people can move forward. And what's going on right now is the bad actors being so well organized and extracting so much from, from innocent uh, people and threatening our infrastructure, it's, a, it's an impedance to moving forward. And so Microsoft is all in on security. That's why Satya was so passionate about it when I talked to him. This is so important for Microsoft to make the world secure. Now, but the way it's, you know, some people say, well, you know, why don't you just make all the security you have just free and, free. and default? Right. The answer is that if you, um, imagine you've got a, uh, you're, you're an auto manufacturer, you're building a car. You're going to build certain things into the car. You're going to build seat belts. You're going to build airbags. You're going to put analog brakes, actually. You'll add those as standard equipment. You know, that, that wasn't always there. Um, but uh, you're probably not going to slap snow tires on every car. You know, if you think about financial services companies, these companies have to segment very carefully what each uh, employee can do. They do tremendous things within their company. And by the way, it slows them down. They, they have regulatory requirements. That's a world where they actually sacrifice some speed of innovation for security. And they should because your money needs to be protected. It's a very dangerous world because it's the, the way that bad actors can, can uh, turn it into value quickly. And, and then you take a startup. I'm a startup. I'm building some cool consumer app that's, uh, that's letting people, uh, you know, find things on the web to buy. Like, and do I, do I have a, is it, does it have to have the same level of security that a financial services institution have? If I slow down that poor startup with all, I'm going to segment every employee and they're going to do this, this, they'll never get anything done. And so everybody gets to decide what the speed of innovation that they have is relative to the amount of stuff that they're willing to put around it and what they're willing, how much resource there. Because remember, every time you give somebody snow tires, they got to slap them on every year, pull them off. There's a lot of complexity that comes with security. And course, we're doing a lot of things to try to eliminate all of that. And so that's why we can keep leveling up what's default. But we'll always provide things that are special for what customers need specially. Like, that's just going to happen. But just one last point on this. You, you can understand the sort of visceral reaction from some enterprise customers 
when they hear on an earnings call that Microsoft has made $15 billion over the last 12 months, and if you add it up, it's about 8% of their revenue, larger than some companies in the security industry make as standalone security companies. I mean, you can understand where somebody would have that kind of visceral reaction. Like, why are they selling this stuff? Why are they making money and telling investors, telling Wall Street that this is a good thing? I, I can understand everybody wants something for free. I mean, I get that. And we're trying to give you as much as we can. But Microsoft, by the way, economically, when you know, I look at their customer you know, uh, prices and things, Microsoft's a good deal. Like, uh, compared to the other st the stuff out there, it's a good deal. Okay. Next up, the opportunity for a fresh start in the metaverse. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. When you first started, you did talk about this shift to the civilized world from the medieval world. And then you've talked more recently about the metaverse and the opportunity that the metaverse provides potentially for a fresh start to do things right. Can you give us a sense for what you'd like to see in terms of the principles or the general approaches in the metaverse to, to get security right? And first off, though, how do you actually define the metaverse or think about the metaverse? Um, well, it, it, it's still forming up. I mean, there's so many different opinions of what it ought to be. Um, there's certainly the whole digital currency thing. And, uh, and digital currency can be a great thing if you're a financial services company, um, you know, uh, transacting and um, clearing, clearing transactions in, in a much faster time. That's, that's good for everybody. Um, but there are aspects of it that are kind of problematic from... Uh, from secure, protecting yourself, the anonymity of it, the the fact that you know somebody could come in and um, you yeah. know uh, invade your wallet, walk away with everything you have in your your wallet, and you know you think about your credit card. Somebody frauds you on your credit card. Well, you can call the institution. You can say, "Hey, uh, this was a fraud transaction." You don't get to do that with uh, cryptocurrency that's untraceable. Like it's. Um, so there are a lot of aspects of the of the financial side of of, of it. Um, uh, the, certainly the the user experience side of it. The idea that I'm going into a a pseudo world and and I'm interacting with uh, icons that I think are who I'm talking to. Maybe they're not who I'm talking to. It's there's so much experience that we can get out of this that's going to be uh, wonderful and interesting. Uh, but but we got to really think about things like identity and and um, access and. And um, thinking about you know how we how we protect people that are now I mean humans are pattern matchers and when you see something that looks familiar and right to you you know you, there's a lot of evolution behind just trusting that that's that's okay that our perceptions are easily fooled and um, so we're going to have to spend a lot of time with that problem I think to keep people safe. It seems like it would take some level of cooperation among competing industry players, Meta, Microsoft. Magic Leap. Are you seeing yet the level of cooperation that would result in the kinds of standards for identity and other security 
safeguards to, to keep what's happened on the web from happening in the metaverse. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, our, um, you know, one example, our uh, Microsoft has a lot of uh, capability and identity and access. Our team there is, uh, is actually leading uh, some of the way in um, decentralized identity and, and how that works, how, how it w- would work in a, um, uh, in a metaverse implementation. Uh, and, and people are cooperating. I think, uh, you know, the, the community sees this threat. And, and I think all the companies involved are anxious to make sure that, um, you know, we don't have a disaster on our hands. So uh, I, I, I don't see any lack of uh, cooperation. I think that uh, all the usual big players are, are, um, are talking to each other. At this point, a year in, are you more concerned about nation state actors or just plain old cyber criminals? I think the problem is that in some cases they're cooperating. And uh, I think we've got to worry about both. I think um, nation state actors might be a large threat to our infrastructure. You know, you, you could imagine as we as we digitize everything we do, countries are going to see that as an opportunity to wreak havoc with another country that they want to do something with. And uh, I worry a lot about nation state actors. But also, by the way, it's blending because the na- some of the nation state actors create revenue departments that are ransomware companies, essentially. And they're raising money by doing ransomware. So by looting uh, other countries and going after companies. Uh, they're stealing IP. So it all kind of blends together. I, I think the, 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 the threat is, is getting more organized across the board. And, um, you know, the thing we've got to do is we've got to figure out how to both get really real time on how we respond to what these actors are doing. You know, we call that shift really hard right, like get way into the, the detection and response, automated detection and response. We talk a lot about that. Um, but I think in the long run, more importantly, um, we've got to change the rules of the game so that the bad actors that come in, they have not much to deal with. Like, you know, the, the analogy I use is, you know, imagine soccer where you take the field and make it 20 miles long and you make the goal two feet wide. It's going to be really hard for a nation state to get anything done in that, in that game. Charlie Bell, thank you very much for joining us at the GeekWire Summit. Todd, thanks a lot. Thank you. Charlie Bell is Microsoft's Executive Vice President of Security, Compliance, Identity, and Management. See the show notes for a link to our coverage from the GeekWire Summit. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.